Hi everyone, welcome to Baby Steps Nutrition, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, health, and wellness for families of children of all ages and stages. I'm your host, Argavon Neil Forouge, a pediatric dietitian and mom of two young children. My goal is to bring you impactful information that you can apply every day in a simplified, practical form to make life easier. Now let's get into today's conversation. Here we are as parents of older kids. We got through the middle of the night feedings and wakings of the infancy years, the temper tantrums of the toddler years, the adjustment to school of the early adolescent years. Yet now things feel more stressful and unpredictable than ever. That's right. We are talking about our beloved tweens and teens. Sometimes the days feel like it's filled with nothing but conflict and chaos, while other days we're reminded that this period is also hard for our children. They are experiencing not only tremendous physical growth, also incredible emotional and intellectual growth. That's why I'm thrilled to be speaking with our guest today, Teresa, aka Tess Connolly. It's Tess to the rescue. Tess is a licensed clinical social worker and parent coach who provides overwhelmed and frustrated parents of tweens and teens a five-step reset plan with the tools and strategies to make a change in their family's life. She founded the Parenting Reset Membership for parents who want an ongoing monthly parent coaching to learn new skills and get connection and support from other parents. She is host and founder of the Parenting Reset Show podcast, coming out in late August 2021. Woohoo! Tess is also a psychotherapist for tween girls and has worked in mental health with children and families for over 20 years. She is a primary parent to a darling tween boy who she is raising with the values of kindness, connection, and gratitude. And if she's not working, she's finding her grounding in meditation, being with friends, and trail running. Her parenting motto is, the best parenting skill is right inside of you. Welcome, Tess. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an it's honor a, to be here. It's a bigger honor to have you. I really you. want to start with your upbringing and how it led you to work with teens today. It's such a fascinating story, and I'd love for you to share that with the listeners. Okay. My upbringing was highly unusual. <laughs> So I'm going to age myself because I'm going to say that when I was 10 years old in 1976, my parents took all five of us. So I have, I'm the oldest of five. We're all a year apart. There's me, three brothers, and a sister at the end. And took all of us, put us in the back of a truck from the suburbs of Boston, and moved us to the backwoods of New Hampshire. And I mean down dirt roads where we had to build a bridge in order to get to the rest of the property. And there was no running water, no electricity, no home. I was 10 years old and I thought, I seriously thought, oh, I'm not going to school anymore. I'm going on a permanent camping trip. And it sort of was, but they did eventually build us a home within a few months, like the framework of a home. And we eventually got some, it actually was probably, I almost say almost maybe a year later, but running water, electricity, all of that. But my parents took us on a big reset. And this is sort of my my story is this started where they just made a dramatic shift. And it was dramatic. Even now it would be dramatic, of course, but it was dramatic then because they really thought about how do we want to raise these kids? We're in the suburbs of Boston. At that time, there's the high school wasn't accredited. So it wasn't a great school system where we were. And, you know, there's lots of drugs, alcohol. Think about what's going on also in the culture of that time in the mid 70s. And they are, we're also right around all of our relatives and parents. I come from a big Irish Catholic family and they really wanted to have us individuate, to have our own freedom, to find ourselves, especially since we're all very close together in age, we don't have that developmental space for ourselves. So they wanted to put us out there. And I found out actually some of this only recently in the last several months in talking to my parents, but they brought us out there and we literally had to live off the land. We had to chop, eventually when we got into the house, we had to chop wood for heat and we had to hoe in like during mud season, which is an actual season in, in New England. It's in the springtime. There's so much mud from the dirt roads. We didn't have paved roads that you had to go out during the evenings when it got cooler 
and hoe in the mud ruts so that it froze overnight so that you could drive out the next morning. Wow, so, that's incredible. I know. It's and, a little, it's really, it's out there, but I love the fact that my parents at that time were reading that parent effectiveness training and they're really thinking about how do we want to raise our kids? We want them to be raised under our values. So they were kind of moving away a little bit of their own families. Not that it was it was bad. There wasn't anything negative about that. But I think they wanted us to have growing up under their values of what they wanted. And they wanted us to have a different kind of life, a way to find ourselves out there on our own, which we definitely did. And that's kind of like, in a nutshell, that's what we did. And that's how I grew up for the rest of my life, except the very last year of high school, we moved into another town of New Hampshire that was a little bit more, it's more like a suburban town in Dover, New Hampshire. So that's where I had the last year of my growing up before I then took off for college. That's incredible. And you mentioned you were 10 years old when this dramatic shift happened in your life. Why are you most passionate about working with this particular age group, the tweens and the teens? Yeah. So so this age group I love. So just to let you know, I have a 12-year-old son myself. And I love this age because there is so much going on at this time. And it is, and I will tell you, it is one of the more challenging time to be a parent for tweens and teens. And I, I'm sure a lot of parents would agree with that. It is definitely a challenging time. I like that challenge. I like that this is a time of exponential brain growth. This is happening right now when they hit puberty. There's so many changes physically, cognitively, emotionally, socially, that, and there's stuff going on in the brain that starts to really ramp up in adolescence that also happened when they were very young, from like zero to like six years, approximately. The brain is doing this exponential growth. So at this time, kids are really, they're really struggling because there's so, it's, it's such an exponential amount of changes going on. I love that. I love the challenge of it. I love that it requires me as a parent to really shift. There's been other times, I I love leaning into those hard moments and it challenges me to be not only the best parent, but the best person that I can be to model good behavior for my son. So I think it's just a fun age. I love that you mentioned challenge and fun in the same sentence. You know, (laughs) some... But really, I think right? some families may call this particular period the dark ages. Can I you know. T- I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but I would love to hear in your professional experience and personal as well, what is unique about this tween development period and how can parents best support their children in a mutually respectful and understanding manner? Okay, so similar to what I was just saying, there is really the best way to support them is to, if you think about it, I'm thinking about this as well for myself, but hold on loosely. Okay. You know, isn't there like something in a song? I can't remember, but hold on loosely. You want to be around, be available, but you don't want to hover and you don't want to overparent. That's not going to be supportive. There's going to be a lot of things going on. They are going to move away from you. That's natural. And as they get older, you know, it's going to look different at nine, 10 and 11, versus 14 and 15, but they're really, they're supposed to be moving away and finding, they're going to be looking more towards their peers. That's the more important. It's going to eventually be more important than even the family unit as they get to be older teens. But to really hold on loosely to them, give them space, being aware of of keeping a conversation. Here's something that I think is so important when I'm working with parents is keep a conversation going. You may have had this darling seven, eight, nine-year-old girl or boy, you did things, you went to the zoo, you did this and that, and now we're moving into a different place. Keep doing some things together with them that they like. It's going to look different. For me right now, it looks like going to a baseball game and listening, and we take turns listening to music. And I don't, we don't share the same music anymore. We used to when he was younger. So stay right with them, continue conversations keep the connection. It's going to shift and move. Their interests are going to change and they're going to be moving away from you. But I do really encourage parents to not take that so personally that it developmentally they're supposed to. And if they're clinging tight to you at, four, let's just say 14, 15, then that's something to kind of look at because you they want to be moving away, individuating, finding themselves in the world, how they're going to be you're going to see lots of trying on different things. I know that's gone on with 
a lot of teens and, and tweens here. My, my son made a comment when he first started middle school last year in sixth grade, and he came back and he just said, there's a lot of people with purple hair. Or <laughs> There's differences. They're trying on new looks and who they are and how they want to be in the world. I would allow that and let that go and not necessarily make judgments, but also instilling your own values of what's important in the family and being available, like, you know, having connection at, whether it's at dinner time, taking care of their own chores, taking care of themselves in the home, being respectful around parents and siblings and all of that. But essentially hold on loosely. That's kind of how I think of it. And that's a great point you mentioned. You know, both of my kids are under 10 and we know what mm-hmm. a healthy attachment in infants and toddlers look like. You want them to come to you. You want them to cry when they need something. Exactly. And, and you're their safe space. But sometimes we forget when the kids are older, the independence mm-hmm. is part of that, right? The confidence is part of that. The needing to be creative is part of that. Yes. And so if you've maintain that foundation for them. And if they have a secure attachment to you, that then they feel okay with going out into the world, even if you don't. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you can think of it like that where we would watch our, right, our 18 month old or two year old, let them go. And if they, they kind of went and then they're going to turn around, they're going to look, they're going to check, you know, are you still there? You're still there. And sometimes they may physically come back. Okay. Touch. And then they're going out further. And if you can think of it like that, but they're obviously they older, they're bigger, and they're moving out into the world. They're trying new things on. Their brain's exponentially growing. They're physically changing, right? Puberty starts around this time. It starts earlier for girls versus boys. But they're, they're going out and they're trying new things and let them kind of do that. But no, I'm here. So if they're in their room, you can just go, maybe just go into the room. And it doesn't have to be you're telling them to clean up their socks or do their laundry. You could just sit. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, how's that? I often look at the football game or the, whatever he's playing in the NBA 2K or something like that. And I've even tried to get in there and try to do it myself, although I don't do all those. It's like you got to ignore that pile on the floor in order to connect because exactly. otherwise that will just drive you crazy. Yes. Tess, let's talk about your reset plan for parents. I know that's something that was very intriguing for me. To me, it sounded like a magical formula. It's pretty close. Can you explain <laughs> what your coaching program entails and why parents have found success with it? Yes, I'm happy to. I have a five-step parenting reset path. And that reset, right, R-E-S-E-T, stands for review, evaluate, systems and strategies, execute, implement, and then transformation. And so in a nutshell, that's, that's what it stands for. But what I do is with this parent reset path, I've worked with families individually, but I also primarily work with parents in my Parenting Reset membership. So it's a membership that I have for parents of tweens and teens that are looking to get some support at home. They've got some different situations, whether it's screen time stuff or kids not following through with things, or we've got, you know, there's mood changes and they need some help making a shift, making a change. And that's why I'm calling it kind of the reset. But what I've done in my membership is Each week we go through the different areas, like the review, we review what's kind of going on, what's happening and evaluate what are the parenting styles? How did you learn how to parent? What are your partner's values for parenting? This is actually pretty significant. And this has come up a bunch with a lot of parents I've worked with is there's definitely a difference between the way mom's parenting. And then she'll say, you know, but dad doesn't think that, or dad believes this. And so there's, those, you probably know. I'm, I'm uh, nodding big time here. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That is so common. And that's really important. So that's part of my v- beginning to like take a look at that, see how you can come together as parents, because parenting on the same page is very important. It's a big component of what I do is trying to get parents to kind of come together and just agree. You're not doing this in front of the, any of the child or the teens, but you're coming together to figure out how can we okay, so you think this and I think this, where can we meet in the middle and what do you think was fair for the curfew for the the 11-year-old or the 14-year-old and what do you think we should do? Get on the same page to some degree, as much as you can, and then you're presenting as a unified, a unified couple and unified parents as you sit down with your, with your child or teen and talk with them. So you're kind of, kind of coming from the same page. So that's, that's a common one. So that's, that's something we've definitely talked about. I talk about self-care 
And then also something that doesn't always come up out there, but is how, and we don't always think about it in our culture, is how do you define family? Yes. What What is that? And what does it look like? And I was presented with that question pretty significantly about six years ago when I got divorced. And that really shifted for me. I thought a lot about this and did a lot of work in my own therapy around family looks different now. It's not Mm -hmm. mom and dad and son. It's going to be mom. It's going to just look different. So I thought about, even though he's still, my son still has his family unit, meaning his family is mom and dad, dad's nearby. And we've talked about that, but it just, it's going to look different. It's going to be, it's going to be mom and son and dad and son. And what I try to do at that point is really fill in with the community, with his school. And I got very involved in the school to try to pull in kind of a community around him to support him. So part of that is that beginning process of the reset plan is looking at how do we define family? Because most parents don't, we don't really talk about it. Like, what do we want for this family? How does it look? What does it mean? What are some of our values? I actually have written this down in some of my family meetings with my son is what our values are. And we kind of talk about them and agree about them. Then we go on. So in the membership, we go through this and then we talk about systems and strategies. Some of my big ones I've already mentioned, but family meetings are important and parenting on the same page. But family meetings are a great way to shift things and start talking about things that need to change. And a family meeting doesn't have to be like, okay, we're going to sit down. I used to have them when I was younger. We hear my dad say, well, there's going to be a family meeting tonight. And I'm like, oh my God. Something so we'd happened. Go, we'd run around with <laughs> each other and go, who did it? Did you, do, what did you do? What did you, did you do something? Because we were, someone was in trouble, right? That's what right. it was. We sat down and we were like, everyone was quiet and nervous. Like, oh no, someone's in trouble. That is not a family meeting. <laughs> I think of it as more like we're around the dinner table. I've even had, I haven't made it official, but I have informal family meetings as I'm driving my tween son around. I mean, I think having a conversation about some different things, talking about something, especially as they get to their teen years, sometimes sitting across the table and or across the sofa directly can be a little tough for teens that want to push away a little bit. So I love driving with tweens. And teens. I agree. It's less confrontational. Yes. I feel like that even works in younger kids too. Absolutely. And sometimes if you just allow the silence and the pause, they may share with you something that can take you by surprise. And then Absolutely. you also can take a moment without them looking directly at you. Yes. Although they can see the eyes in the back of your head as well. Yes, but right. uh, I love that I do. too. It really is. I love that you can just be, it's, it's great for adults when you have a hard conversation, right? I've had some of the best conversations in the car. We're just driving where you don't have to really pay attention to lights and traffic and people, but you're maybe you're on the highway or on some one of the route one or coastal road or something where you're just driving for a while. And I just think that it's, it's a great space to do that. So some of the systems and strategies are family meetings, talking about communication and language. I think language is really important, paying attention to how we talk and what kind of language we use. I really keep focused with parents around being present and because I love the, I do intentional parenting and staying mindful. Growth mindset is important. Getting clear on technology. This topic just keeps coming up and it's just obviously technology and devices. They are ubiquitous in in our families. They are, it's everywhere now. So we really have to address that, how they're used, when they're used, what does it mean? What, and, and as parents really paying attention to how we're using devices. So I just recently had a conversation with my son where he was kind of like, you know, we're getting near that we're getting to the start of school and I, and I'm starting to shift around, you know, we're not going to be getting up in the morning. He doesn't have a phone yet, but he has an iPad where he checks in on Snapchat and all of that. And I talked to him about, let's have this space. This is something I've created for myself. He's seen it. He's watched it, but let's have a space come downstairs Let's hug, check in, you know, how was your sleep? That kind of thing. How are you feeling this morning? What we got going for that day? You know, he gets on the floor with the dog, but have that space of not going directly to a device to just figure out how am I going to be today or what's happening is on a device. I really talk about that, that pulling that away and having that space of just being kind of like we used to be. Yes. We had phones in front of us yes. 24-7. So I keep them out of the bedrooms. That's an important component. 
And then we also, part of the systems and strategies, we also talk about connection because connection is really one of the foundations of what I do is, is really the building connection is, is just so important. And one of the best ways to do that obviously is relationship building with the, with the child or teen and doing things, even if it's just 15 minutes a day of just going in, sitting down, looking at their TikTok with them, or, you know, they may not want you to, but if they allow you to checking it out, like, oh my God, that's so cool. And if you have a similar account checking, you know, kind of looking at things that they like to do, but having some kind of time with them together, whether that's walking the dog or making some dinner, or maybe, you know, going, going and doing something together, but any kind of relationship building parents will, as years ago, I used to teach parenting classes at parents place here locally in Marin. And we can teach all these different skills and strategies and the magic one, two, three, and I was actually teaching like the whole brainchild from with Dan Siegel and Tina. Yes, Pinsley. my favorite book. I, I love it. I love it too. And I taught that. And I and I, when I would teach those classes, I would say these are this is a particular strategy that you can do. And there's a lot there, even just for parents coming in and they'd have like someone had a four year old and someone had a fifteen year old, and they're like, well, how do we keep track of the upstairs downstairs brain and this and that? And I, you know, we would talk about that. And it's a great book. It's it's wonderful. There's a lot there. But ultimately, they would say, what's going to be the best thing so this kid just listens to me? And I said, one of the best ways to get your kid to follow through is if you have a good relationship with them. How do I do that? Spend time with them every day. I have three kids. Plan it out with your partner. You got the best time for the younger one is going to be in the morning. In the afternoon, I'm going to hang out with my tween or teen. In the evening, it'll be with so-and-so. So plan it out, have that time to connect, build that relationship and have that kind of special one-on-one time, you will get better compliance. Like if that's what parents like, I just want them to do what I want them to do. Okay. Have a good relationship with them. So when you go up and let them know, Hey, sweetie, it's time. I, I really need you to do X, Y, and Z. If the relationship's been there and you've connected earlier in that day, they're going to be more likely to say, okay, I'm going to do that. So I do love that whole brainchild and all of that from Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. So the other components are executing and implementing. That is really about the three C's. I have the three C's that I talk about being calm, being consistent will then get you increased, like we just talked about, but cooperation. So being consistent, following through, being calm, having flexibility, but also boundaries. I think boundaries and flexibility are not talked about enough. No, with our parenting, I don't really hear a lot. Of, and I, and I have ever, as I've grown along with my, my son in these parenting years, boundary setting has been one of the most important things that I, that I've learned. And I want to thank Brene Brown for that. Years yeah. Ago. She's another, she's another great one. Yes. yes she oh, keeps it real. Yep. She totally does. And I, and I love the fact that she made social workers seem somewhat cool because <laughs> It's never kind of a cool profession to have. I'm a social worker. And now I say it with pride because Brene is a social worker. So boundaries are really important. Having boundaries for yourself, for you as parents and letting kids know, and especially in these tweens and teens years, having boundaries for your child. So I have, I have a thing where before my son comes into my room or I come into his room, I knock and he knocks. And it's just a little thing that like you have your own space and I have my own space and I'm going to respect that. Just paying attention to those things because things can get so fluid and boundaries can, you know, our boundaries can kind of get enmeshed a little bit, it being in the same home. And it's important to have some boundaries around what you're doing as a parent, having your time as a, as parents together as a couple, and then allowing the child some time for their own space to do their own thing. And yet also, I think what goes along with that is the flexibility around where they are, what their development is, how they're kind of moving through their own transition. And I, and I mean transition as a tween and teen, there's so much going on. So just staying flexible around what they're doing. And the last component is, of course, the transformation and kind of how, how things have shifted and moved. And after going through that process, it's been great to see that some of the parents that I've worked with have really made some significant shifts, especially it's come down to even just simple things of just a wording. Oh, okay. I used to say that. I don't say that. Like just even language or even how they're doing things. It's how they're being as a parent and paying attention to their own 
tone, their own language, and how is my mood, even my mood going into a discussion or something I need to shift or change with my tween or teen, that makes a huge difference. So when I say at the very beginning, you had mentioned my parenting motto, the best parenting skill is right inside of you. That's what I mean. I mean, we can learn all of these and I can definitely provide certain skills, certain systems, strategies, tools, tips, all that talk about, you know, all the language and and communication. But I do believe that the best parenting can come from within for us. So that means taking a look at, again, going back to like that evaluate stage, but how did you learn how to parent? Where did that come from? How are you now being as a parent? Have you thought about your parenting and your upbringing? What did you want to change? What are you keeping? What did you like? How are you showing up as a parent? How are you modeling, modeling behavior, but modeling language and modeling really, if you think about it, or modeling how to be in the world. They are watching everything. They're watching our interactions with friends, with the person at the cafe who gave us our, our chai tea. They're watching us, how we drive and what we say under our breath or not. Like they're watching all that stuff. So just how are you being in the world? And so that's what I talk about. Like the best parenting skills really inside of us. If we can take a look and pay attention to what's going on inside, where have we kind of come from in terms of parenting and how do we want to be as a parent? Yes. I mean, as you were saying all these really important points, I was thinking back to my own parenting journey and it's only when I started to really delve deep and there are so many profound, you know, influencers out there and I call them influencers, but they're really therapists and they're, you know, people like Dr. Gabor Mate, you know, you Mm -hmm. mentioned Dr. Dan Siegel, you know, Tina Bryce. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are just so many, Brené Brown, Dr. Shafali, and it's all about this conscious parenting. And they, you know, the common theme here is Oftentimes we become parents and we want to do things a certain way, but really if we just step back and just watch our children and allow them to teach us so many things about ourselves, that's when the growth really happens. Mm -hmm. And so that for me was very powerful because I had to really step back and go, okay, what's this child like and what's this child like and what are my triggers and why do I feel this way and what am I bringing into this parenting journey and what am I learning about myself? And then, so all of those things that you mentioned about boundaries, right? Healthy relationships with other Mm -hmm. people, self-care. I think those Mm -hmm. are all the things that parents have to learn and start from within and they become the role model for their children. But oftentimes we just want our kids to do something but we're not doing it ourselves. I know I struggle with that sometimes. It's like you have to put the phone down if you want them to be engaged with you and be present. Exactly. Uh, Because it just doesn't Mm -hmm. happen overnight. And we are passing on all of those things to our children. So, Yes, exactly. No, I love all of that. Dr. Shafali Sabari's That Conscious Parenting. I love that. I've I've read that book. I also pay attention to the book by Julia Lithcott-Hames. I love that book. that you're raising an you're raising an adult, you know, it's really um, not over parenting and not doing the helicopter parenting, mm. paying attention to where they are. But you're really raising. So I think about that even at every developmental place that my son has been. I've been thinking about what's developmentally appropriate right now. Like what what can he realistically do? And at this age, I'm trying to incorporate more more. You know, you can cook. You can make yourself this. Yes. Egg sandwich that you want to do and use the toaster and the microwave and make the cuts and cut up the tomato and all of that. So, you know, allowing him and also pushing him a little bit at different times because he is an only child, there can get to be a, it can be really easy just to do it for him because there's only one, but I really pay attention to allowing him. No, he's got to do it. So learning laundry, doing his own laundry, helping out. And I actually don't even call our chores around the house. (laughs) Chores. I call them family cares. So Oh, I love that. Or projects. I've re- I just reframed it to say, sweetie, here I mean we've talked about the whole family. He knows this when we've had our meetings, but I really do need being a solo parent, he's primarily with me. I do need some help. And I really in terms of what we do in a family, and I described this how I grew up, but we really had to chip in a lot, mm-hmm. cooperate and work together. So there's only two of us here. So we've got to kind of keep the house running. And this is what I'm going to need from you. And, you know, he's, he's gotten used to this. And I, I actually, I really like it. I like that I have barely taken the trash out since I've lived where I've lived right now for the past year because he does it. And that's actually a good thing. 
for him to do it and and learn on his own on how to kind of take care of a home and that it's caring for the other people in yes. your family that we're keeping a home. And you're, and you know what I, I'm thinking, you're hopefully going to do this when you are 19 and yes. perhaps in a dorm room with other kids at college. So <laughs> true. Just, right. So I'm yeah. raising an adult. That's, that's another person that I just want to bring in there. I like to call it contributing to the family, right? Yes. So I'm not yes. going to pay I you for that. chores. You're not doing mm-hmm. it as a favor to me, but you're contributing yep. because, you know, dad is working, mom's working, yep. you know, we're all doing laundry. And I mean, we don't do it all the time as in we being my kids, but I'd yep. like them to. Exactly. Um, but th- those are the conversations I like to have with them. Yes. It's like you do something and you want to be helpful. Mm-hmm. So those are choices that they can make as well. I love that. Yes. Um, Let's get into talking about boys and girls because we know they're different. We know society treats them different, parents knowingly or unknowingly. And then we have to get into the conversation about gender stereotyping. Right. What are your thoughts? Okay. So, so definitely at this time and especially this tween time and, and, you know, I don't think we said this earlier, but tweens can really be this period. It could almost be not maybe quite as young as eight, but like nine to 12, right? It's kind of, mm-hmm. or it could be 10 to 12. It just depends. But there's so much that kind of happens when puberty happens. It happens with girls earlier, as we know, right? They start to grow and it's really noticeable. Probably, I'm going to say like the end of elementary school, the end of like fifth grade, you see all, and particularly in sixth grade, all the girls could be, you know, some of them six inches to a foot taller than the boys because mm-hmm. they have grown. They have physically grown and they've, they've started puberty earlier than the boys. That's particularly noticeable. And girls have the, I mean, really there's, and as you had mentioned, there is so much out there in our culture and our society about girls having to look and appear a certain way, especially with so much social media. This is something that I do feel fortunate that I didn't have. I didn't, I wasn't looking and we didn't have those images and really perfected images on social media, on all the different sites about how to look good and what looking good means and all these filters to make us look better, that is tough. And it's particularly tough for girls because there is this focus around appearance and who, yes. and what we look like versus what's inside. And for boys, there's a, I think there's a, is also on the other side here with boys, it's more about, and I have seen this in the world of young, because I have a boy, but with sports and that bravado and that posturing and the masculinity and I need and I need to hold things in. I see the stoic, like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, when you know they're not. But trying to figure out ways, I've thought about this a lot, about trying to figure out ways to allow the expression of a more full range of affect and emotion for boys in particular, that it's okay to do this. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. But I do still see, and, and it part of it could be where we are. We're in, you know, we're in Northern California here and a progressive community. There's a lot of parents that do talk about this and want things to shift and change. So I think it's wonderful when you can get parents involved and there are different groups out there for girls. They have the Girls Leadership Institute, I know is, a, is one that a lot of parents have used where that kind of helps girls to talk about that that whole thing that happens probably second, third, fourth grade for girls when the relationships start getting tough and there's all that relationship struggles, you know, that kind of mean girl piece about girls kind of getting in and and there there gets to be competition and all of that with the girls. That's a great program that is out there for girls to help look at how to it's really social skills and social skill building for girls right actually just prior or just at the beginning of puberty to kind of be able to understand relationally how to talk with other girls, how to be less competitive and find ways to communicate. There's definitely so much with the gender piece out there and it can be really, really tough. And recently I just had come up, which I know it's going to come up. It'll come up with everyone at some point, but uh, the P word, the porn was happened where my son, I found it right away, but I know that that's going to come up. And that, that triggered a big conversation and an ongoing conversation that we're having about 
the images that he may have seen and what that meant and what it didn't mean and that it's it's tough at this age, particularly at this young age of 12 years old, the brain kind of can't take in those images and what that is and that it's not indicative of a typically the stuff that he was looking at was not a healthy, mutual loving sexual relationship between adults. And so I think it's important to actually to have those conversations, get that sexual literacy in there earlier than we all would think. We all think, okay, well, that's, yeah, in the teen years, that's when that happens. But I had, I'm, I'm so happy. I, I took a class about four months ago, just online. And then I talked to my son about it. So I was really happy that we had that conversation then, even though it did come up this summer. But I think it's actually a conversation that needs to happen sooner, meaning probably, unfortunately, but like fourth grade, fourth and fifth grade, because it's definitely out there. And it's definitely much more common that kids are getting access to it because they're online and they're seeing things and they're stumbling on it sometimes on, and they're not intentionally doing it or they heard this word. And so someone told them to look it up. And so or just misspelling a word, right? Like I can yes. be on Google and I'll oh, accidentally, so- my finger will slip and something will come up. And I thought, gosh, what if this was my child? Right. Yes. It's alarming. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's important to mention the images that you were referring to, you know, again, this whole idea of perfection and idealism, mm-hmm. which doesn't exist, but this is what teens and tweens aspire to. But the yes. more we can tell them, which I try with my kids all the time, there is no such thing as perfect, right? Perfectionism yeah. doesn't exist. And I know in kindergarten, they reiterate, you know, you grow when mistakes happen. Mm-hmm. But somehow when exactly. you get into the teen years, it's like some of those get lost in translation. Right. And so we need to bring that back, the reminders. Yeah. And we do, we still do, even being in the community that we're in, you know, Marin County, California, it's a progressive community. People are always wanting to do more and pay attention to things, but really it's still out there that there's a lot of objectifying and sexualizing, meaning I don't think people are doing it necessarily. It's just, it's, it's on social media. So the kids, cause I actually just recently sat with my son and just looked over his TikTok with him. He was just sitting on the sofa. So I, and I was shocked by like how sexualized and provocative videos that other kids were doing and different things. And I'm like, Ooh, wow, this is so different. So that's still, and he just said, Oh yeah, mom, that's normal. That's, that's what everybody does. Like, well, so we had a conversation about that, but yeah. So you mentioned social media and, you know, we say grownups are addicted, but I feel Mm -hmm. the kids are more than ever before. And obviously this is affecting peers, families, colleagues, what's happening at school, attention span, right? The expectations. Yeah. What are some of your sort of tips for parents in dealing with social media? There's that whole wait until eighth movement that's happening you know, yes. eighth grade or 13 mm-hmm. years old before you give them a smartphone. So you have heard of that, right? I, I think have. Sort of, I'm you sticking have. to it. Yes. Good. Okay, good. Argavon, stick <laughs> to it. So I will tell you, and I'm putting this out now, <laughs> I've got a seventh grader and he right now, now, and I, and I have, I, I've had friends in the community. We talked about it when they were, you know, fourth grade, fifth grade. Oh yeah. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting till eighth. I think there's even something you can go online, right? And you can yes, sign you it. sign a petition. You sign a petition. Okay. Yep. In his seventh grade right now, in his friend group, he's the only one that doesn't have an iPhone. And so what's coming up is that, and this is really tough. And and I'm in I'm in the middle of this kind of mess right now. Mess, and I say that I'm kind of figuring it out. He's the only one in his friend group who doesn't have an iPhone. It's the beginning of seventh grade. It's getting tough for him to communicate with his friends. Because mm-hmm. they have, he has to borrow their phone to communicate with me. Because I am, I do let him out. And fortunately, we live in a community where he can kind of go on his own for a bit. He'll go downtown or go to the park, and that's fine. And if he didn't, ha- and he doesn't have a phone, so you know, I just say come back at this time. There are sometimes he'll just text me from someone else's. So it gets into this piece where he is really on me about the phone and the device and what that means, and so. There are places here and there where, and I would encourage parents to do this as well. And I, and I have with some of the parents I've worked with, but if they don't have a phone yet, but is start to practice 
responsibility around devices and what that looks like. This is also, and I do have a, which I actually can give to you. I have a tech reset agreement and it is all about technology, all the different technologies, whether it's a Xbox or PlayStation, iPhone, even TV time. It's great to sit down and do with your kids, whether they're even younger than the tween age, but definitely with tweens and teens, to have them start thinking about how long they're going to be on the devices for, right? That's obviously something that usually gets talked about with parents and kids, not just the amount of time, but also how they get off of the devices, I think is important. And that tends to be the struggle, what I'm hearing from parents. I mean, I've had parents say, when he took off and went to his friend's I went and hid the computer, like literally took the entire unit and put it somewhere to hide it. And I was like, well, that'll work for a while (laughs) until he needs a computer or until, you know, like someone's going to need that. Or the power struggle happens and then it's chaos all over again. Yeah. Yeah. So you can physically, of course, remove devices, but I do think it's best and it's going to be helpful for them in learning again and modeling how to do agreements whether that's mm-hmm. devices or whether that's I'm talking about anything that, you know, as they get older and they're in work, they're going to be making agreements all the time with friends and their own family and bosses and all that. So sitting down, having some, some kind of structure to it, but putting down the amount of hours on each day, what does that look like? Maybe during the weekday, it's at least for in my house, there's no gaming kind of stuff. He can check in on Snapchat in the afternoons after some things are done after school but it's not like the big gaming is going on on weekdays and that can happen on the weekends. So everyone can set it up. I do think it's important to have some structure to it. Make use of your Wi-Fi. I think this is one of the best tips that, I, that I've given. And I was given this advice and it's wonderful. Get the passcode, you know, get on there, get your Wi-Fi passcode and know what it is. And then you, usually with most, depends on what they're using, but like with Xfinity, you can go on there and set downtimes. You can set all the devices in the house, or you can just have each person has their own devices. So one person might have their, they might have their computer and their iPhone. Another person has their computer, the iPad, or someone else has the PlayStation, however you want to do it. But you can set specific downtimes for each of your kids, depending on their age and their development. And letting them know ahead of time, making an agreement. That's why I've got this tech reset agreement where you actually agree and you write it down. I even love to get his buy-in. Like, so how long do you think, you know, you sh- you could have the iPad or be on the, the device for the, the weekend time? And sometimes I, I'm actually surprised that somebody, he'll say something. Well, I think like an hour and a half. And and I was thinking, oh, okay, I might have even said a couple hours. <laughs> so, okay, do you know what I mean? Like you give them some choice, then you're going to get them to buy in, which is yep. great because you want that, especially for teens and tweens. So getting some buy-in, getting the hours down, the different days, and then actually putting the downtime on the Wi-Fi can be really helpful because what it ha- what it does and what what this is done with parents that I've worked with is it helps, it kind of takes it out of your hands a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, it it makes the, you know, the Wi-Fi is just, we already know in our family, it's getting shut down. It's, it's totally off. I've got a friend of mine that does this, but everybody's, including hers, gets shut down at 10 o'clock. Nobody's on a device. You can't check something or go on social media. It's, it just closes, closes down. And it does here for my son at a certain time. And then my, mine doesn't, but I'm, I shut mine off. I can do that. But for him, it goes off at a certain point, a certain time. And it's different on the weekdays versus the weekends. And so it just gives some structure to like, okay, I know. So as he's playing a game on the weekend, oh my God, it's it's 9.30. I know it's going off soon, but I got to finish this game. And if there are times where he's, he's really been responsible about it, I will say, that's fine. Let me change it. You can get 10 more minutes, but then you it's going to go off. And he's like, okay, great. Thank you. But it is really helpful when working with our tweens and teens is to pay attention to how they're getting off. That is the time that is the toughest, right? Mm-hmm. You're, they're in a game or let's say even a younger kid, but they're on a device and they're playing something or they're doing something. They're engaged in this other world. They're not present. So what I've done, and I did this when he was a little bit younger, I don't have to do it as much now, but it can be helpful for tweens too, but it's just to come up and give him a verbal cue that, sweetie, the, you know, it's going to be shutting off at, at nine 30, or I sometimes even physically put my hand on his shoulder just as a way to kind of come back to the present. 
Like you're yep. in a different world with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. You're all playing this game and it really looks fun and that's great. Just a touchstone. Like I'm just touching his shoulder and sometimes I even have him look up at me if I know it's it, he's been on there or he's doing something he really doesn't want to let go of. And it's a way to kind of cue them and come back to the present. Oh yeah. Okay. It's this world. Okay. I'd love. And then they go back down and maybe with certain kids, they might need more. They might need a few more touchstones before they're going to shut it off. But all of this too, what I've done with him and what I've done with other parents is say practice first. When you talk about this screen time agreement and what you're going to do practice, what is it going to look like when you get off of your iPad or you get off the Xbox or the PlayStation? Well, what do you mean? Let's just say the time goes down or I say it's time for dinner. I give you that one cue and I maybe put my hand on your shoulder. What are you going to do at that point? And so I actually have had him practice. Okay, I'm going to shut any, I say, go ahead, take the device, whatever it is. And he literally shows me how he shuts it down. And then then he walks it over to me and hands it to me. So it's actually a, a way to for them to, to reinforce what it's going to look and feel like when that transition happens of getting off and giving it back to you. Mm, and this is an important point. It totally does. And this whole idea of, as you were explaining, you know, these devices, these apps, games are designed mm-hmm. to be addictive. Yep. So it's not like yes. we can count on the kids to no, separate that, or disengage, you know, at the snap of a finger. So we have to step in. That's maybe one place where we have to step in as parents and really do control yep. and monitor exactly. very closely. And it's really, it is really hard. They are, I know I've played some of those games with him. It's like, it's exciting. Like, you know, you got to do all these controls or or playing the football game or whatever it is. And they're in another world and they're playing with friends. So that's, that's great. They're connecting with so-and-so and and they're talking inside the game. At least they can in some of these games that they're doing and they're in there, but it's like coming back to here, coming back to present, coming back to home. And then it's even, it's great if they can not only practice, they do do, they get off, they hand it to you or it's done, but to have that moment right when they're off to be a connection point. And I think mm-hmm. this is really important because no matter what the age, it really does help because they've been elsewhere, but just to kind of cue them in and maybe give them a hug or just check in and say, you know, how was your game? Or tell me a little bit about it, what was going on and, and then kind of getting them focused on what's happening now. They're here, they're, it's time for dinner or you know, like if it's on the weekend, we've got to go to the, the store or something like that. So kind of ca- having them come back and connecting and having even just three minutes where you're there with them and just kind of talking, connecting helps them to kind of transition out of the, the world that they were just in, the gaming mm-hmm. world or whatever that world is. Virtual reality. Being, virtual yeah. reality. Back to here, present moment, mom, dad. Okay. Oh, okay. We got, we have, you know, we got to do this. We got you know, whatever it is that's happening, we've got to go to the store or I've got to, I got to eat dinner now. So it's kind of coming back. It's just a way to kind of connect back. I think that really, that can really help. Love that. And you touched upon boundaries, but this Mm -hmm. is, I think, where a lot of us get kind of caught in that gray area. So you want to be aware of your child's habits, Mm -hmm. behaviors, right? Online use, checking in on them, knowing what they're up to to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. But then you're also told, well, you want to respect their personal space. You want to give them boundaries. It's healthy for them to be independent. How can parents and caregivers decipher between the two? Like, when are you crossing the line? And are we talking about like with the devices or just? Yes. Yes. Like just going through their stuff. Going through their stuff. Okay. So here's, here's my, my take on it. And, and some parents are going to feel differently about this. I really, it depends on their age. So it depends on the age. So again, I'll, I'm going to use my son as, a, as the example. He does not have an iPhone. When he gets an iPhone, I will have particularly, I, I don't know which app, I'm going to have something on it that's going to set some controls on it until he is able to show me that he is responsible with where he's going and his usage, not only his usage of different sites, but how much time he's on it. And he's responsible with the actual phone itself, like all of that. And I'll talk to him about that, what that responsibility looks like. And so initially, I think it depends on the child's age. So if they're younger, I would say have some controls until they're able to show you that, oh, you're not spending 24-7 on that thing. And you're not going on to sites that you're not supposed to, or you're not texting 
pictures to people that you shouldn't be supposed whatever it is, it really, it kind of depends. But once you see that, then I think you can then have the conversation, you know, especially as they get older, I'm going to say probably in high school, they're not going to want to have all those kind of controls or those apps that kind of look at everything. And maybe you have a, an agreement at that point with your teen about the usage of the phone. And hopefully there's been a history of responsibility and they've been able to show you, okay, I don't go, I don't do things with my phone that I'm not supposed to. I'm not on it constantly. I'm able to let go of it. I have other things going on in my life. So there's other extracurricular activities, sports or dance or karate or swimming or whatever it is. There's other things that I'm doing and feeling, and I'm feeling good about myself in these other ways than just a device. So that's something I'm, I will be looking for. And that when I talk to parents about this, to pay attention to, because really what we don't want them to do is to be getting all of their good feelings about themselves and their self-esteem from the virtual world, from a device or from a game in particular, but gaming is really because they get these points and it feels good and wait, I'm, I've mastered it. And, and that's great to have some mastery in, in certain ways that are common these days, you know, kids are online doing things and they're, and they're developing mastery in that way. That's great, but don't let it be the only mastery that they're having and they're feeling good and getting self-esteem from just that area. Great advice. Looking around to other areas in their life where they're feeling good about themselves, whether that's in school or they're a great friend, they got a good social group, they do well in swimming or sports or dance or whatever it is. And is there a cutoff age or does it depend on the personality or the temperament of your child where you could really step away? And I don't mean 100%, but just you feel okay enough where the decisions that they're making, you know, hopefully they're doing the right things. Yeah. You don't have to be so, I mean, you should mm -hmm. never be a helicopter parent, it sounds like, but less on them than you would be. And I think that's going to depend, again, on their age their development, not just their age, but kind of who they are and how responsible they've been with you already. I would imagine that right around those ages of like 15, 16, you're getting into mid older teens, that they have shown some ability to be responsible with, if we're talking about devices and that they've got other things going on, meaning they've got connections with their peer group, they've got some good friends and they you know, they're doing their academic work and they're enjoying parts of that and feeling good about themselves. That's kind of what I would look for. It really does depend on the age and the development, but I would certainly hope by, you know, if we are raising our adults, if you think about it like that, I hope by 17 that the kiddo is being able to like care for himself or herself, have some good relationships, doing, taking care and going to school and managing and doing all the things they need to do, even the extracurricular stuff, and also being responsible with technology and phones. Because most likely, if they're heading off to college or doing something after that, they're going to need to be doing that on their own. And that they've practiced along the way with you. Do you know what I mean? And you've kind of let go. By 17, there's, there's a big letting go because it is a bridge age right to adulthood. And you want to hopefully practice have a lot of space for them to do their own thing, take care of things, things like even making their own dental appointment by that. I mean, hopefully even earlier, they could do that, you know, making their own appointment and then going to that appointment. They might have to have a, do you know what I mean? Like letting them kind of go and do the things that they're going to need to do in the following year or two. On While you're anyway. still around. Yeah. While yeah. you're still around. Right. Yeah. Yep. There was this great, metaphor that I heard recently, and I'm trying to remember who I heard it from, Glennon Doyle or someone where I can't remember who it was. But if you think about like with a whole thing about car and driving, they're in the car, you're driving with your child, right? And you're you're describing how to drive. They're in they're in the back seat, then eventually they're in the front seat, right? When they're big enough to be in the front seat. Then you're in the passenger seat, you're practicing with them while they're learning to drive. And then eventually, if you think about it, this you're in the back seat and they're driving on their own. Does that make sense? Like it's sort of just these little pieces of just being there, being available, practicing, letting go, pra- you know, getting in there if you need to, letting go, practicing, and then they do it on their own. But they've got kind of a container around them. 
Tess, I know as the listeners and myself, we know that parenting is the biggest humbling experience of our lives. (laughs) For yourself, after having children, what would you say was that big aha moment? Oh my gosh. Do I have just one? What's (laughs) the first one that comes to your mind? The very, very first one I remember, I can still remember this, even having a 12-year-old, but it was just a few nights after getting back from the hospital with him and in the dark, right? Those nights where you are just completely exhausted. You don't know if it's, I knew it was nighttime. It was the middle of the night, but I'm, I'm breastfeeding. And I, this is just one moment I do. I remember this. I remember holding him and looking into his eyes, which were still like that dark, dark gray, right? There wasn't any color yet. And just feeling this amazing, how do I even describe this connection and a bond And that literally at that moment, it took my breath away. I just was like, wow, kind of like, this is real. You are here. It kind of, I don't know how to describe this, but it shook me in that moment of like, there is forever this human being in front of me that I have the honor and the privilege to care for. And if that doesn't make you grow up, I don't know what does. Do you know what I mean? That moment of like, oh my gosh, I have this incredible, beautiful human being in front of me. And I think really, so that was just one moment that I remember at the very, very, very beginning. And probably another moment I would say was when I, when I got divorced, that was a significant shift, right? I have to really, my whole paradigm of thinking of what the family is going to look like had to really shift. And that was another moment to say, okay, we got to pull things together. And I just, I don't mean like buck up. I mean, grow up. Each each moment along the way of every year is a learning. But those are just particular moments that I just remember. It really, I love this journey of parenting. And that's why I'm doing the work that I do because I love it. It's hard. It's challenging. It's completely messy especially with this age of tweens and teens, I know it's going to get messier and I'm kind of excited for it. It's fun. It's magical in some ways. I know that's kind of strange to say, but that's kind of what it feels like. And it's a privilege. And that's what I've, I've told him many times that I'm just, I'm so happy that you're in my life. If we were recording this in video, you'd see my goosebumps and you'd see my eyes getting teary, but those are all the feelings that I'm having here. Tess, I know I speak for all the listeners when I say thank you so much for being here today. You've offered sound practical advice to make life at home more calm and connected. I know I'm walking away from our conversation with a little sigh of relief. How can our listeners find you? Okay. First, I want to say thank you so much for having me on here and allowing me this space and this time to talk about something I'm so passionate about and that I love. So thank you very much. And I love the work you're doing. And I'm so glad that we connected and that we can actually, we can actually physically see each other and have coffee again. You're going to make me cry, but thank goodness no one can see that. Argavon, thank you so much. So People can find me. The name of my business is Mindful Kids and Families. That's my umbrella. My podcast will be coming out this month. I'm finishing that, finishing things up. And that is called The Parenting Reset Show. They'll find that on Apple when that's out. It's not out yet. But Mindful Kids and Families, that's my website. And you can check out what I'm really moving towards and trying to put a lot of energy towards besides the podcast is really building my uh, parenting membership. So if anyone's interested in that, you can reach me through email and you can just Google Mindful Kids and Families or my name, Therese Connolly, LCSW. You'll get my info and I'd love to be in touch and hear how what's going on with other parents. Love so that. And again. Tess, I want to say best of luck to you on your practice, your podcast. That is so exciting. I know I'll be thank tuning you. in to learn even more from you. Yes. And thank I want to again. thank the <laughs> listeners for being here with us. And I hope everyone can keep checking back for more hot topics and insightful guests. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast with your host, Argavan Neil We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks 
you and your family can use to make daily life a little easier. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review, share with others, and follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. As always, you can head over to babystepsnutrition.com to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. See you next time. Tune in. Feel great.